Christmas Day, a time to celebrate, drink alcohol and argue with your relatives. The holidays look different to everyone. You might not celebrate Christmas. If you do, you might be heading home to spend it with your family. Maybe you're looking forward to it, maybe you're not. You might be spending it with your chosen family, a community of friends who love and support you for who you are. Something that makes Christmas difficult is being forced to spend time with family members who you disagree with. Maybe you argue about the current Tory government or just politics in general. Maybe it's sexuality or gender identity. In the run-up to the holidays, you probably have a little knot in your stomach forming. It's that anxiety looming before the big day. What if I get dead named? What if Uncle Ted gets drunk and says something racist? What if Aunt Janet, the anti-vaxxer, refuses to drink tap water again because she thinks the government are putting chemicals in it to control our minds? Well, fear not. Untangle that stomach knot because this episode is for you. I'm Lily O'Farrell, aka Vulgar Drawings, and this is No Worries If Not, a deep dive into women and internet culture. Christmas special part one. How do you talk to your problematic relatives during the holidays? Christmas is hard for lots of reasons, like no one can agree on what time to eat. But what if your family disagreements are about something with higher stakes? Something like politics or culture? Social media is a huge support for young people. We can find communities and like-minded groups online. Our parents can have this too, but what happens when they stumble on the wrong community? where racist, homophobic, and conspiracy theory ideas are encouraged. Like Facebook, where, according to the Centre for Countering Digital Hate, 9 out of 10 posts reported for COVID misinformation weren't removed by moderators. In this episode, we're going to be talking to three people whose parents' political opinions have created a barrier in their relationship and what advice they have for tackling this at Christmas without it turning into a screaming match where roast potatoes and mince pies are thrown across the table. Some people argue that when you call out your relatives for being offensive, you're ruining Christmas. This is a tough one because the likelihood is is that a lot of these people you may only see once a year, and this is your only chance to really try and change their mind. Also, the whole let's not ruin the mood by getting political thing, I think it's an excuse. Sometimes it's good to be uncomfortable. It's where change happens. Christmas can be really boring anyway. Do what you were born to do as millennials and Gen Zs. Ruin the vibe by correcting boomers on their offensive jokes. The worry is that when you call your parents out on their views you risk ruining your relationship with them. So what's it like to have this kind of fallout with your parent? We were always very close. I could always talk to her about anything. We used to go clubbing together. That kind of stopped when I was like 28, is when it started to go a bit wrong. This is Danny, a gorgeous person who slowly lost his relationship with his mum because of her involvement in online conspiracy theories. More specifically... QAnon, 
please don't Google it. I'll explain later. I found him on a subreddit called QAnon Casualties, an online support group for people who've lost loved ones to this ideology. I've been following it since about 2020, and the 300,000 members from across the world are full of compassion, empathy, and support for one another. Danny is one of them. She was always very spiritual. She was political, but in my eyes, very left. Like, very, very left. When I was a kid, I remember being taken to, like, a protest where I can only describe them as hippies, like building tree houses to stop a road being built. Danny's mum was a free spirit and did things like read tarot cards for visitors who stopped by. So how does she go from being a left-wing person to a hardcore member of an online conspiracy group? There are factors that make you more vulnerable to online radicalization, and for Danny's mum, he believes it was grief. Danny's older sister died when she was a child, and Danny was only in primary school at the time. I think also something like that happening to you kind of makes you not like the world a bit. I can't fault her in the way that she dealt with it. Danny told me that his mum began drinking, heavily. I wouldn't say forgot that she had three other kids, but she would be asleep until three o'clock in the afternoon. And it was like that for quite a long time. This tragedy, understandably, left a huge mark on Danny's mum. He watched her slowly descend into the online conspiracy world. She moved to a rural area stopped working, and started spending more and more time online. She was even engaging with people like David Icke, the infamous conspiracy theorist and anti-Semite. He's been an influential figure in the conspiracy world for a long time, and he's famous for his theory that a secret Illuminati of reptilian shapeshifters are controlling the world. When I say reptilian, I literally mean lizards like lizard people. She would give me David Icke books to read. Um, There's one that he wrote called The Biggest Secret, which is, like, ridiculous. (laughs) And as I got older, I kind of taught myself otherwise. (laughs) And it's it's so strange, because she's not... She's not a stupid woman. She's so defensive about it. I think because it's, it's the only thing she's got. If you take it away from her, she... Yeah, she has nothing. Danny said his mum's descent into the rabbit hole is kind of a blur to him, but there were a few key moments where the penny dropped and he realised just how far in it she was. Danny is gay. He came out to his mum at 15 and she was really supportive. But after spending time in these conspiracy groups, she started saying really homophobic things. The first thing she said was... Do you know they're trying to add P to LGBT? And I was like, oh, what do you mean? What, what's P? <laughs> and she said, paedophile. And I was like, they're not. And also, one, do you know who you're speaking to? And two, do you know how offensive that is? Her argument was that the queer community are welcoming paedophiles and even trying to normalise it as a sexuality. Danny said it didn't take him long to do the research and find the source of this image. Somebody had made a fake screenshot of the LGB Alliance in America, of their website, and then added this thing about them adding the P. And what I would do is, when she told me things that she'd read, I would go and look them up. And 
not argue with her, but kind of talk about it the next time I spoke to her. But for her, it's like anything that is against the thing that she's talking about is your lefty, brainwashed idiot. Like, you, you're a sheep. I've noticed that when some people from older generations use the internet, there's this big contrast in how they source information compared to younger groups. When I'm with my parents or older relatives and something comes up and I'm not sure of the facts, I whip out my phone and quickly Google it, find a reliable source and put my phone away again before my mum tells me to be present. Uh, I roll. But these little habits aren't as common with everyone as you think. And if they haven't been drilled into you from a young age, you could see something online and take it as gospel. Danny takes this really seriously now. I think people should be taught, if you see an article headline, click on it, read it. Even if you see a meme and you decide to take that information and it's something that you're going to spread, before you spread it, you should be finding out if that is the right information. Danny said his mum started posting this stuff on Facebook more and more, especially in 2020. COVID was a hotbed for conspiracy theorists, and his mum even built a doomsday bunker, stocked with rice and tinned food. It's almost like everything is a conspiracy. Anything that is mainstream is a conspiracy, is the government trying to do something. And me and my sister joke all the time is, like, when something goes wrong, I don't know, if the lights flickered, we'd be like, oh my God, it's the government. When Danny's mum makes vague claims about the government, this is part of the QAnon conspiracy theory. I'm going to tell you about QAnon briefly, because the less time indulging in this, the better. But essentially, it's a far-right, internet-born conspiracy theory that's popular in America with the Republican Party. Put simply, the theory is that the world is controlled by the deep state, a cabal of Satan-worshipping paedophiles. It's a mashup of lots of the most popular conspiracies in one. A compilation album, a now-that's-what-I-call-music-for-conspiracies, if you will. It has lots of offshoots that cover popular conspiracy theory tropes like anti-Semitism, claims of paedophilia and child sex trafficking, Satanism and blood rituals... Rejecting modern medicine like vaccines. Oh, and of course, how could I forget, anti-immigrant and anti-LGBTQ rhetoric. I mean, you get the picture. So, back to Danny. His mum was getting deeper into the rabbit hole, and then there was this moment on Christmas Day a few years ago, the last time they spent Christmas together as a family. My sister bought an iPod Touch and I wanted to show her Siri. So I pressed the thing and said, hey, and she went insane. And I just turned around and said, why are you shouting at me? Like, I don't understand. She was literally shaking um, and angry. And I said, where has this come from? And that Christmas, actually, I said to my sister, I can't spend time with her anymore. Like, I can't. It's, it's not worth it. That was several years ago now. Danny feels like his mum is too far gone for an intervention. He finds comfort in the online support group QAnon Casualties from his boyfriend and his friends. He tried cutting all contact with his mum and it worked for a little while. He was happier, but soon enough, he started to miss her. 
I think cutting someone out of your life completely is is the wrong way to do it. Because what I found is I did miss my mum. Even though she talked to me about nonsense, I did miss talking to her. I missed letting her know what I'm doing in my life. So I think to just still keep that communication open. Because you don't know at some point, hopefully, they will come back from it. But if you sever those ties, you actually might send them further down that path. If you're their only lighthouse of normality and they lose that, then they're just going to go further that way. I love the metaphor of a lighthouse. You're the safe point in a stormy sea, hoping that one day they'll see the light and come back. I kind of have like a bit of a dream that one day she'll just be like, oh my God, I've wasted however many years of my life. (laughs) It does give me some kind of hope that it might happen one day. Danny has a relationship with his mum now, but it's at a distance. It works for him. I asked him for his advice on what to do when your relative is in the early stages of dabbling in online conspiracy groups. He told me that he thought spotting these ideologies in family members and interrogating them as soon as possible was key. Maybe they make a throwaway comment about the pandemic or the vaccine having some kind of other sinister planned purpose. I think at the very beginning is question it. Me and my sister made too much of a joke of it and we're like, oh, this is stupid. I think nipping it in the bud as early as you can. And if it is an older person that doesn't know how to spot that kind of information or do the research themselves, then you should teach them. So how do you have these conversations? How do you nip it in the bud? How do you gently interrogate something someone close to you says? Something that too many of us have experienced is a relative saying something racist at the Christmas table. Enter Fiona from the educational charity Show Racism the Red Card. As an education charity, we have spent the last almost 30 years using high-profile nature of, say, football and other sports in order to raise awareness about combating racism in society. The charity was set up in the 90s, partly thanks to Shaka Hislop, a Newcastle United goalkeeper who was the target of a racist attack. He wanted to use his profile as a footballer to spread awareness. And since then, they've already engaged over a million people in their racism education programs. Part of their work involves teaching young people how to talk about racism. Like many established charities, Show Racism the Red Card has had to evolve as the internet became mainstream. So they created the Education Hub, a totally free online resource with lessons on things like Islamophobia, anti-Semitism, Black history in the UK. And they plan on keeping it as a totally free platform. Fiona has been a teacher for over 20 years now and she looks after the hub. Plus, she uses the lessons to deliver workshops in schools. I'm part of the education team, so I do spend some of the week going out and delivering workshops to children and adults. We do face-to-face and online. Tomorrow I'm in a school and I'm delivering some teacher training. Fiona said the kids she speaks to give her hope. They're curious and kind and just want to learn. It's actually more common for adults to ask the inflammatory questions – Questions you've all heard before and groaned at. 
Questions like, why isn't there a white history month? Ugh, ick. I think that what we are striving to do is educate people about the history of the marginalization and the persecution and oppression of groups. And generally speaking, white people have not been, in historical terms, oppressed and how race was kind of set up to empower some people and and keep other people down and oppressed. And they're trying to celebrate all of the contributions that people of Black Diaspora have made to the UK. 2020 was a big year for these sorts of arguments. When the Black Lives Matter protests were taking place, I remember a lot of my peers having uncomfortable conversations with family members who were being confronted with their own racist prejudices in a really big way. It's hard to not get upset when you're laying it out for them, But after all, you're not a professional. Fiona is. It's literally part of her job to calmly have discussions and answer questions about race. So I asked her, how do you talk about this stuff with your family? I think the holidays are a breeding ground for misunderstandings on these topics. Sometimes it feels like people collect arguments all year round just to have at Christmas. (laughs) I mean, I'm laughing, but it's not funny when you're in it, you know, and we've all been in it. I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but I just feel often it's the younger generations leading those healthy discussions or wanting to have those healthy discussions. Fiona says, start with the source. When someone says something that is clearly a copy and pasted opinion from social media or a clickbaity headline, for example, something like... You know, like the all refugees steal jobs that come to this country. You say, where did you hear that? Where did you read that? This is a simple but really effective method. Or even a simple why. Essentially, you're calmly asking someone to explain their rationale. That's it. With every statement they make, you respond with, oh really? Why is that? As the person in question explains their argument, they might start to see the holes in their story. That point A doesn't quite match up with point B, and that maybe it sounded different in their head than it does out loud. Fiona said your family member might get defensive about your questioning, and it's probably because they're feeling insecure. They don't have the evidence for their claim. So they might just try and shut it down because they know there's nothing behind what they're saying. It's just something they've heard or read. It's humiliating when you make a big claim and when someone challenges you, you can't back it up, especially when you're in front of lots of other people. This is what can lead to screaming matches and stuffing balls being thrown. Fiona suggested something really smart which was to organise to meet up with this family member one-on-one after Christmas. You might be met with a, oh, I don't want to talk about this right now. If you sense it's getting heated and you sense that it's going to end badly and people are going to get upset, it might be better to say, shall we continue this conversation after the festive period? Because really the goal is to foster understanding, encourage people to reflect. Maybe get a coffee one-on-one and bring it up again then. 
They're likely to be less defensive when you're away from a crowd, where there's alcohol and also a motive to show off. I've found as a woman that older men really like to, quote-unquote, wind me up for fun. They might make a joke about women belonging in the kitchen just to get a reaction out of me for entertainment. Honestly, sir, do us all a favor and get a hobby. Jesus, play fantasy football or something. Fiona said this happens with her family too. Like if someone makes a homophobic joke. I've even had somebody say to me, well, you're not gay. Why are you upset about somebody saying that? And I say because I'm taking it personally that you're essentially discriminating against a marginalised group. So how do you protect your energy at Christmas? It's exhausting keeping your problematic relatives in check. How do you stop the emotional labour from becoming too much? Well, here are Fiona's top tips to avoid woke burnout. Step one, have an out. For example, a fake appointment. You can say, right, I've got an hour and then I've got to be somewhere. So you're still doing your family thing and taking part and doing your duty. Step two, shut the conversation down when it gets hurtful or has reached a dead end. Have some fallback phrases such as, I think we've exhausted this for today. Or you can say, this is really upsetting me, can we stop? Step three, be an ally. You can still have a big impact by just showing your support for the person leading the discussion. If you're somebody who is quite shy and you are not normally outspoken, that can be really difficult to speak up and Christmas might not be the time when you feel like doing that, especially if you've got a room full of relatives. If somebody else possibly does speak up, you would find that a good first step for you to say, I agree, even if you're taking that small baby step to be an ally. And if all else fails, just send them a link to Show Races in the Red Cards Education Hub. Or better yet, tie them to a chair and forcibly hold a PowerPoint presentation on the history of racism and why, in fact, we don't need a white history month. So I've been a bit hard on the boomers so far. Fiona is right that it is often younger generations who are leading these discussions, but there are some amazing parents changing people's minds left, right and centre. I've been following Mermaids UK for a while now, a charity supporting transgender young people, and they put me in touch with Teresa, a volunteer for Mermaids and the parent of Chase her young person who is trans. I love my family dearly, but I want to spend Christmas with Teresa. If there's any such thing as a Christmas miracle, it's her. Being a trans young person can be an isolating experience, but it is for the parents too, which is why Teresa wanted to get involved. Because it is so isolating just to talk to somebody and share that experience has been really good. I had so much knowledge in my head from parents in Chase that I didn't want it to stay in my head. So I wanted to see if there was an outlet and I could share that support with other people and share that knowledge that I gained. Teresa works on the web chat, talking to young people who need support, guidance and resources. 
And some of that includes helping young people talk to their parents about their gender identity. I do once a week. I do evenings because I have a full-time job. It can be quite emotionally intense. It's a lot. It's the most rewarding thing I've ever done in terms of its hard work. You really feel like you've made a difference to someone. Sometimes it is quite frustrating. And the thing that I think I didn't understand at the time is that young people who haven't come out have to do this in a space where they feel safe. And sometimes you'll be midway through a call and they'll be like, I have to go now. And even those two minutes, those three minutes with somebody who hears them and who is supporting them can make all the difference for a young person. It's not just young people Teresa helps. Sometimes parents need guidance too. My experience of parents, it tends to be after the child has come out and to say, OK, my child has come out. I have questions or to say, OK, my child has come out. Now I need support. And how do I do this? Teresa said she's made lots of mistakes trying to support Chase through this time. And that is okay. It's impossible to be perfect. Instead, have good intentions, acknowledge the mistake and move on. Now she helps other parents struggling through making their own mistakes. It's always a learning curve parenting, but parenting a trans child is just that bit of a steeper curve sometimes. Just this year, Teresa wrote an article for the Huffington Post, and in it she says this great quote, Parenting a trans child is difficult and depressing, but none of that is because of my child. Some very kind person in our town puts transphobic stickers on lampposts, so it could be anything from pinning that off so another gender diverse child doesn't see that kind of transphobia to something big like putting their name on the waiting list for the gender identity clinic knowing that they're unlikely to ever be seen and it's all the things in between and it feels as though you're fighting a daily battle to have your child's existence validated and then you compound that by all of the other things that are out there you know trans young people being used as a political football just the level of hate and toxicity that's on social media Teresa said she's happy to answer people's questions about having a trans child, as long as they're just curious, well-meaning questions, not angry statements shouted at you. And the problem is, the people making these statements often don't actually have any trans people in their lives. I think the danger is that people are removed, they don't have a human connection to a trans person they have been whipped up into a frenzy by what they've read and they don't have any stakes in it. But if you're actually looking at a young trans person and saying, you're the problem, that's harder to do. It's harder to look that person in the eyes and say, I think the world is unsafe because you're in it, because then you have to explain why that is. And there is no argument, they're just kids trying to be kids. Teresa doesn't use social media much anymore because of the level of transphobia. And she said the sources parents of trans kids are using online aren't always reliable. Some of the young people that I've encountered online doing the web chats, the, the difficulty that they've had with their parents is that their parents have read something. Whether or not that's an article online or they've done, an, I'm going to put this in like quotes, but internet research. And it's like, well, my, my mom says she's done research on the internet and then it will be something that is clearly not true and not part of that person's experience. I asked Teresa her advice for gender diverse people or people questioning their gender identity who are dreading seeing family this Christmas. 
You do not need to defend who you are. So you can have a conversation with somebody across the dinner table, or you can opt to not have that conversation. I think it's really important that young people recognise that their existence is inconvenient to some people, but that doesn't mean that they shouldn't be existing. She said, be open about it if you feel comfortable. But if someone asks intrusive questions, you don't have to answer them. Okay, this is my gender identity and this is what it means. And they can ask questions and have that. That's great. But the emotional labour of being that person is entirely optional for you. So you can point these people towards Google. You can point them towards mermaids. You don't have to answer any questions that you're not comfortable with. And I think a lot of the time for gender diverse people, there's a whole load of inappropriate questions that come with that curiosity. And it's okay to say, I'm not going to answer that. You don't need to know about what my plans are in terms of my own kind of bodily autonomy. Teresa is clearly an amazing parent and person. Not only does she support her own gender-diverse child, but she helps young people through mermaids too. But sadly, not everyone has a positive experience when having this conversation with their parents. What happens if it doesn't go well? I grew up in a quite conservative evangelical space. And I had that kind of like, it's so nice to know gay people. I'm not one of them, but how cool are they? This is Kay. I wanted to speak to someone who had a more complicated history with their parents and their coming out journey. We were put in touch by a mutual friend. Summer was spent at church camps. I was really involved in a Christian evangelical group that met with high school students. So yeah, my life was very centered around the church. Kay is non-binary, and after a long journey of coming to terms with their sexuality, they are now happily engaged to be married to their trans partner. It's such a joyous occasion to be celebrated, but if you don't know how your relatives will react, the anxiety around it can put a dark cloud over the celebration. Of course, you don't have to come out at all, but after a lot of back and forth, Kay decided that they wanted to. Friends would ask me, like, do you ever think you'll come out to your parents? I was like, I will never come out to my parents. I was really worried about acceptance. And so I, I would give myself to people in piecemeal ways and kind of hide. It's just boring in the end, like trying to keep up like all of these different veneers for the sake of other people's comfort. The fear for Kay was that their entire community back home was connected to their family, in particular, Kay's mum. But thankfully, Kay had got to a place where they were in love, engaged, living in the UK and surrounded by a close group of supportive friends who were eager to celebrate the engagement. So it felt like the right time. There was a lot at stake to me, but I think I had at that point and still now have so many chosen family members that I knew loved me unconditionally, were so eager to celebrate me and my life that outweighed what was potentially going to be lost with my blood relatives. The initial conversation did not go well. And for a while, Kay and their mum went no contact. I was so elated about being engaged and the family response was very wet blanket. That was hard because all of my friends were like so happy and people kept reminding me, you deserve to be celebrated. And I got tolerated. 
So it was a hard lesson for me in that I deserve celebration, not just tolerance. But Kay's story is proof that people can change. Their mum did come around. She now loves Kay's fiancé and even sends him goodie hampers. Kay had this gut feeling that deep down their mum had it in her. And they were right. She just needed time. But by the end of the week, my partner is amazing and my mom found him utterly lovely and, and actually offered to help pay for our wedding. So a lot of change in a small amount of time. And I would say it's only gotten better since then. After I spoke to Kay, I couldn't stop thinking about that description of celebration versus tolerance. There'll be so many queer or gender non-conforming people this Christmas who feel celebrated by their friends, but just tolerated when they go home to their family. It's like living a double life. I asked Kay their advice for managing this in the run-up to Christmas. First and foremost, you should just own your autonomy. And if you want to come out, you can come out, but you don't owe it to anybody. And just like Fiona... Kay has conversational safe words. My partner, I still had like a little code word for being like, oh, I've got to read an email. And I didn't end up needing to say it at any time, but it was nice to know that that was there. It's been hard, but Kay is proud of how much their mum has grown. People can change and, and, and some people will and some people won't. And I think that's been a really beautiful thing to see. The goodness that I believed was in my mom and kind of her better nature. I believed in that enough to be vulnerable with her. Even though Kay's relationship with their mum is good now, they've chosen to spend Christmas with their fiancé, some close friends, and their beloved cats. It's literally just us. It's me and four other people or three people. So there is quite a like smallness there that can feel a bit sad sometimes when you're used to maybe like the whole family's together. So yeah, there is a loss, but it's something that I still acknowledge, but I'm quite happy with what I have. It sounds like a lovely day, but the joy is always coupled with a bit of sadness, which I imagine is very relatable for a lot of queer people at Christmas. And what about Teresa and Chase? How are they spending Christmas? Well, Chase is a teenager, so they'll be sleeping, watching trashy Christmas films and eating chocolate. I think there's sometimes this idea that trans people are walking around with a sandwich board and a bell, shouting at everyone. But they're just going about their lives, doing boring life stuff like A-levels and trying to exist, just like you. And for us, it's, I think, appreciating the quiet this year before A-levels start next year and hanging out, watching rubbish films and, and housing a, a box of celebrations, whatever that is. Yeah, I hope for a quiet one, hope for a peaceful one, and hope that things will get better in the new year for trans young people. And remember gorgeous Danny? How is he spending Christmas? Well, he won't be arguing with his mum about Siri. He's also having a quiet one with his boyfriend and his dog. I love Christmas. When I was a kid, Christmas is pretty depressing. So as an adult, I want Christmas to be the best day of the year. And that's what I do every year now, is I'm doing what I want to do. <laughs> and anyone that's with me is going to be the best day ever. Thanks for 
listening to No Worries If Not. This is a Curly Media production. Special thanks to Teresa from Mermaids UK, Fiona Clark from Show Racism the Red Card, Kay and Danny. Thank <laughs> you.